following lecture was produced by the Gnostic Academy of Chicago, a nonprofit organization, and is one of many available for podcast, download, and transcription. You can visit chicagonosis.org to find courses, articles, scriptures, commentaries, and other valuable resources that address a wide variety of spiritual subjects, interests, and needs. Through the generous support of listeners like you, the Gnostic Academy of Chicago has produced online courses, lectures, and articles freely available worldwide. If you have benefited from this knowledge, help humanity through making a tax-deductible donation at chicagonosis.org. If you are interested in attending the Gnostic Academy of Chicago in person, you may view our online class schedule and freely register at meetup.com slash chicagonosis. The Chicagoland Gnostic Academy provides humanity with the necessary means for transforming suffering and acquiring personal knowledge of the divine. With this purpose in mind, we now begin the lecture. May all beings be happy. Today we're going to discuss the nature of consciousness, the nature of mind as it is explained within the Gnostic doctrine, as well as its relationship to the famous solar bodies of esotericism. We're going to elaborate on how mind or consciousness, to use Buddhist terminology, is related to the vehicles of the soul. These solar bodies are mentioned well throughout the literature of uh, theosophy. And we're going to address the nature of the solar bodies in relation to the path, which is the path of the self-realization of the being and the complete development of the human being. So this path and uh, the solar bodies are well explained within uh, Buddhist, Christian, Sufi doctrine throughout all the world's great religions. But as we're going to elaborate today, uh, Master Jesus of Nazareth, Master Abramento, explains the nature of the solar bodies in detail in his gospel. We also have in this image Padmasambhava, who is known as the second Buddha, he originally brought Tantrism to Tibet and is, well, is now uh, recognized for having documented a work by the name of the Tibetan Book of the Dead. He taught uh, the nature of Dzogchen, which in, means uh, the great perfection. So we have here in this image Padmasambhava with his consort. For it's through the vehicle of Tantra, Sexual union is how we generate, how we create the soul. It's important to remember that the Master Jesus never taught that we have soul. He said, with patience possess ye your souls. The soul or the solar bodies are vehicles through which God can manifest and express. These are only created precisely through Tantra. Tantra. 
pure, pristine, chaste sexual connection and union and the transformation of one's vital principles. So when we talk about solar bodies, we also need to talk about the nature of mind. Because there are many misconceptions in spiritual circles between the consciousness and the solar bodies. We emphasize that the solar bodies are merely vehicles that can transmit light in the same manner that a light bulb emanates light. The bulb is the vehicle. The light is Christ. So on the path of uh, self-realization, we need to create solar vehicles. We need to become solar beings. Pure souls that can transmit the light of Christ without blemish. This path has been taught in all religions. And we have here uh, a saying by Padmasambhava about the nature of this path. Dzogchen is the secret, unexcelled cycle of the supreme vehicle of Tantra, the true essence of the definitive meaning, the short path for attaining Buddhahood in one life. So when we talk about the solar bodies, we emphasize that they are merely a step in the process of self-realization. There are many who think that when creating these bodies, one is done. But that is a mistaken concept. Because the solar vehicles are merely a footstep in order to enter into the higher stages of initiation. So again, we have uh, the description of the solar bodies um, in relation with the Egyptian mysteries. So in this image we have the tree of life, the Kabbalah. On the right we have the tree of life transposed on the Egyptian god Ptah which is where we get the word patar, father. So this father is uh, our inner Christ, our inner Lord. And notice that his body is made of gold. So gold is a symbol of Christ, the light of the being, the light of uh, our real identity or innermost God. Solar bodies are created intentionally. Human beings do not possess them by nature. And as we've discussed elsewhere in other lectures, we find that the only way to create the soul is through a revolution. Not against other people, but against ourselves. So the requirements are very specific. We typically possess what we call lunar vehicles, which is we're going to explain in relation to uh, the Christian gospel. But in speaking in general about the solar bodies, we have to refer to the Kabbalah, the tree of life. Here we have at the bottom Malkut, which means kingdom in Hebrew. This is our physical body, which we all receive as a gift of nature by uh, the procreation of our parents. Above that we have Yesod, which is the vital body. And our vital body is uh, the origin of all of our chemical, metabolic, catabolic uh, processes, reproduction. It is our energy and vitality. Our physical body would not be able to exist without Yesod, our foundation. 
Neither can we create the solar bodies like Patah, Patar, the Father, as he is represented in gold. Neither can we reach the Father if we do not work with Yesod, which is our foundation, our vital forces, specifically sexual energy, which, as we will elaborate through Scripture, is the foundation of all genuine spiritual realization. To the left we have Hod, which means glory. This is our uh, emotional body, the astral vehicle. This is what we commonly uh, inhabit when we go into the astral plane, when we dream. What we typically possess is not a legitimate astral body, but a lunar phantom known as Kama Rupa, meaning desire body. This is in relation to the theosophical teaching as well as the Hindu scriptures. On the right we have Netzach, which means victory. This is the typically referred to by theosophists as the mental body. But we know from esotericism that we do not really possess a solar mental body, but we possess manas, or lunar mind. We can sometimes say kama manas. Kama means desire, and manas is mind. So our mind is animal in desire and in nature, as evidenced by the fact that we observe our psychology from moment by moment. We are constantly afflicted by negative thoughts, discursive elements, which... uh, Keep the consciousness enslaved. Above that, in the middle of the tree of life, we have tifereth, which means uh, beauty in Hebrew. This is our willpower. We call this human soul, which is not developed in us. As Jesus taught, with patience possess ye your souls. We need to develop Tifereth into a fully illuminated human being. But Tifereth as it is, is merely the, our willpower, which is typically channeled through mind and desire, mind and emotions, which is subjective in nature. We do not yet possess what we call the solar causal body, a solar vehicle that only knows how to express the will of Christ in which all the great initiates have developed. So, in emphasis of this point, we explain that we are not yet human beings because the human being is made in the image of Elohim, God, or better said, God and goddesses. When we uh, refer to human man being, we refer to hum, the breath, the wind, the spirit, and man, manas, mind. So the real human being is a man or mind, not exclusively of the male sex, but a mind that is united with hum, the spirit. So our uh, image of Pata, he was a human being or he represents the human being with these bodies of gold, which, as we mentioned, are only created through alchemy, 
the science of uh, the perfect matrimony. Above that, we have uh, on the left, Geburah, which is, uh, means justice, severity in uh, the Kabbalah. We call this our consciousness, our divine soul. To the right, we have Chesed, which means mercy, our innermost God, our inner being. Now, notice above, we have the Trinity, which is known as Christ. Keter, the Father, Chokmah, the Son, Binah, the Holy Spirit. Understand that the top five sephiroth, or spheres, is Christ, or is God, better said. The Trinity is Christ. Chesed and Geburah, the innermost and the divine soul, is God within us, is our inner Lord. God does not enter into degeneration, meaning God does not fall. However, his human soul, the human psyche, Tifereth, willpower, can either obey God or can fall down into the abyss. Gehenna, mentioned in the scriptures. So our problem is this. Our willpower obeys the inferior quaternary, the inferior four bodies, which, as I mentioned, are lunar vehicles in themselves, and most of us. Because in order to have created the solar vehicles, one needs to have worked in alchemy with a, in a matrimony. So in speaking about the lunar bodies, what we typically possess, which are, in, if we examine in the internal planes, are of a phantasmic nature. They are of a... Uh, ghost-like appearance. They are not substantial. The four lower bodies, uh, those are the lunar bodies, the four lower ones? And most of us. us. What we need to accomplish is by working in alchemy, we create the solar vehicles, which we can say are represented by the tree of life. But for us, for most uh, individuals who are not human beings yet, but intellectual animals, meaning souls with intellect. Our mind, our emotions, and our vitality, as well as our physicality, they are the vehicles of ego. They are not yet the, we don't yet have the, the conduit, which are the solar bodies, in order to reflect the light of God and to return it back to His source. So you're saying uh, our will obeys the ego at this stage. Our will typically does follow our mind or our emotions. Which are, the, which are the expressions of ego. So if you're able to astral project and stay conscious in the astral plane, plane that doesn't necessarily mean that you created a solar body, right? It doesn't necessarily mean that, but at the same time, individuals who did uh, practice alchemy in the past are basically recapitulating their, their work. So some individuals who do have those bodies already tend to have experiences as a grace of God to bring that soul back to the path. But just because one has experiences in the internal worlds doesn't mean that one has solar bodies yet. The way, the, the way to verify that is uh, by, again, learning to astral travel and communicate with our God. For most of us, we don't have those vehicles. And as Samael and Vior stated, 
solar bodies are a luxury which can only be created through the work of alchemy specifically. Um, and as Master Jesus taught us, we typically have what we call the lunar bodies. The importance of creating the solar vehicles in order to express Christ is emphasized in this scripture. Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 3, as well as verses 8 through 14, where we have the parable of uh, the wedding garment. This wedding garment is the solar bodies, which can only be created in a matrimony. And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables, said, or end said, The kingdom of heaven is likened to a certain king, which made a marriage for his son, and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. They saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways, and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. He saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. So in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, we need to create these solar bodies, these solar vehicles. Because without the vehicles of Christ, we can't resonate with those divine laws. Christ needs the vehicle in order to express himself. And the way that he does that is through the soul, the solar vehicles. So with our lunar bodies, we cannot enter heaven. However, I will emphasize, even creating the solar bodies is just the first step. It is not the end. But this process of creating uh, the wedding garment, the clothing of the soul, the vesture of the being, we need to be born again, which the Christians the fanatic Christians in these times, they associate as being a doctrine of belief where they raise their hands and say, I believe in Jesus and I am saved. And they say, well, you are born again. That's not the case. To be born again is a sexual problem. We need to use the sexual force in a matrimony. For as emphasized in this uh, gospel, the wedding garment is a result of a marriage. Therefore, individuals who seek to enter heaven as uh, abstinent uh, renunciates or by uh, rejecting sex, they walk the path of error. Because the, the Christ taught us that to be born again is to work in a matrimony with the sexual power and to use it for Christ. For as uh, Jesus taught us in the book of John, chapter 3, verses 3 through 8, when he talked to Nicodemus, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, which in Greek is neuma, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the neuma, the Spirit, is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. The neuma, the wind, bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the neuma, the spirit. So we have in this graphic, Jesus talking to Nicodemus, where he explains that that which is born of the flesh meaning through the animal orgasm, is, a, is flesh, meaning physical children. But that which is born of the spirit through the sexual act that is conserved and controlled, that is the spirit. So birth is, whether physical or spiritual, is a result of working with sexual power in a matrimony. There is no other way. And Master Abramento taught this. So we talk about the neuma, the spirit, like the wind, which we're going to elaborate further in relation to the bodies themselves, how to create them. But in working with the spirit, we work with the sexual force known as the Holy Spirit, which we mentioned is Bina in Kabbalah. In this image, we have uh, an illuminated spinal medulla, and the seven chakras. These chakras awaken when the power of the Divine Mother, known as Kundalini, awakens from the cossacks and ascends up the spine to the brain. When that fire is awakened in a matrimony, it ascends slowly in accordance with the merits of the heart. Never by one's own whim, but by the intelligence and power of the Divine Mother. She is the one who, as the weaver in Arcanum 24, in the Tarot, she weaves cloths for the soul to inhabit. She is, the, she is the one in this card who, at the spinning rod, or spin wheel, she elaborates the, the soul so that the consciousness can be dressed in that vesture. When, the, when she awakens in the spine or in the cossacks and ascends up the spine, she awakens all our faculties, the seven chakras, which is a, is a divine fire, as we can see in this image. And so uh, when we raise the fire within the different, uh, different spinal medullae, within our lower bodies on the tree of life, we create the solar bodies. Or we begin the process of, of, of elaborating those vehicles. So as we'll illustrate, Kundalini is a sexual force. The seminal energy is the power that gives life or can produce our death if we abuse it. For as it states many times in the scripture, uh, the Old Testament, we find uh, one reference in the Psalms of David uh, Psalm 104, verses 16 through 17. The trees of Yorchava, 
are full of sap. The cedars of Lebanon, which he hath planted, where the birds make their nests. As for the stork, the fir trees are her house. So what is this sap that the Bible speaks of? It's the semen. The sap is the semen of plants, or is the blood of the plants. And we know that semen, physically, in a man or woman, is the condensation of blood. So the sap that fills the cedar tree is precisely our sexual uh, matter. Seminal fluids, whether in man or woman. Because semen does not only apply to men, but to women as well. And so the cedar tree uh, particularly relates to this process of creating the solar bodies. Because the cedar tree represents our spine. And there are angels that govern the cedar family that can aid us if we are practicing in sexual magic. And uh, even the word Lebanon teaches us a great mystery, as Samael and Vior explains in Igneous Rose. In the word Lebanon, Spanish Libano, we find the E-A-O that permits the angel of the cedars of the forest to open the door of the spinal medulla which we, when we practice sexual magic. E-A-O is the mantra of sexual magic. E-A-O in Latin signifies ignis agua origo, fire, air, spirit, or fire, water, spirit. And, and when, Ma- when Master Samael explains that this is the mantra of sexual magic to create the solar bodies, he refers to the wind, the spirit, working with the fire of sex in order to generate the neuma, the wind, the breath, the spirit, which is essential to the practice of Tantra, as we'll explain. And so Lebanon in the Old Testament refers to this science of E-A-O. It's a sacred mantra considered the holiest of mantras amongst the the great temples of mysteries. And we know from the writings of Samael on Vior that when this sacred name was pronounced in the ancient times, they would pound the drums so that the profane outside would not hear the name of this mantra because it is exceptionally powerful. E-A-O relates in Hebrew to yod He vav And uh, E-A-O, or yod He vav is yod Hava, Jehovah. So when we work with the sap of our bodies, and we practice sexual alchemy, we raise those forces inward and upward, the kundalini force, so that it illuminates the chakras, and gives birth to the soul. To elaborate this point of a sexual nature of the creation of the soul, we have the following teaching by Shalaman, Shalama, who uh, we can say in synthesis is a great solar man. He was a great king, uh, uh, recognized for his kingdoms of gold, meaning he was self-realized, was a great master. He taught in the Song of Songs the sexual nature of spiritual union with God. And that 
it is precisely through sex in which the solar bodies are created. And what will be relevant in this passage is we examine the image of a Shiva Shakti, which is the Holy Spirit. Shiva is the father uh, or a Abba, Elohim. We have uh, the Divine Mother, Shakti, Aima Elohim. These are the, the two polarities of the Holy Spirit, which is masculine and feminine. And so as represented in this scripture, uh, Song of Songs by Solomon, he talks about his wife, who is his sister, which, if we interpret it literally, is absurd. Because the fact to say that this great master was practicing incest would be a crime. Instead, these are our principles. Just as Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden united sexually, how they represent man and woman, or brother and sister. They are principles. They are not literal figures. So Solomon and his wife, his sister, can represent Shiva Shakti. Because that same power is male-female. And when we talk about Shiva, we need to talk about Shakti. And when we talk about Shakti, we need to talk about Shiva. Because the Holy Spirit is, is dual, is both powers, male-female. Shiva Shakti is the power of God, can either create the soul or damn the soul if that energy is expelled through the orgasm that is our original sin. And so as represented in this scripture, we we, we will explain how scientific chastity, purity in sex, is precisely what leads to the development of the soul. For as Solomon states, Thou art all fair, my love. There is no spot in thee. Meaning you are completely chaste. There is no impurity in you, my shakti, the the sexual force. Come with me from Lebanon, my spouse. With me from Lebanon. Look from the top of Amana, from the top of Shanir and Hermon. From the lion's dens, from the mountain of the leopards. What's interesting with Shiva is that He's typically portrayed as sitting on a leopard skin or a lion skin, meaning he has conquered animal desire. So to talk about being elevated in the mountains is a, is a symbol of having walked the path of initiation and that one is, has conquered desire, like Solomon did. Thou hast ravished my heart, which in Hebrew is labab, similar to lebanon, as we're going to explain my sister, my spouse, thou hast ravished my heart, Labab, with one of thine eyes, which in Hebrew is Ayin, and we're going to explain further, with one chain of thy neck. So he talks about the heart as Labab, and then mentions right next to it the city of Lebanon. There's a profound relationship there. We know in transmutation that we bring the energies inward and upward to our brain, and then to our heart. Labab, as in Lebanon, is heart. The last part of Lebanon is Nun, which in Aramaic means fish. Nun is sperm, literally, because our sperm and, or the sperm and ovum swim within the waters of sexuality. So Lebanon 
as the ultimate, as a symbol, represents those who practice chastity. As Samael and Vera mentioned, Lebanon or Libanon is E-A-O. In order to really dwell in that divine city, one has to transmute that the noon, the sperm, or the ovum, through the spinal column to the brain and then to the heart, Labab. So that's the meaning of Lebanon. Noon, noon in Aramaic means fish okay. and refers to sperm or ovum. The letter N it hides the meaning of the, of the sexual principles. Now, Solomon says, Thou hast ravished me with, one of thine, with thine eyes, Ain, which we're going to elaborate further as I mentioned. How fair is thy love, my sister, my spouse. How much better is thy love than wine. And the smell of thine ointments than all spices. The word for smell is reach. Reach relates in Hebrew to ruach, which is spirit. So in the book of Genesis, the spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters, the ruach Elohim. So meaning Genesis is a work of alchemy. So by working in a matrimony, the spirit hovers on the waters of sexuality and creates the heavens and the seven days of Genesis, which explains this, this teaching of the solar bodies in depth, which would take many lectures to explain each component. But here we're speaking more general. And the smell of thine ointments, the word ointments in Hebrew is shemen, which is where we get the word semen. So, and the smell of thy ointments, the ruach of thy ointments, the ruach of thy semen, the spirit of thy semen, is more uh, voluptuous and delightful than all spices, meaning all common terrestrial pleasures we commonly experience. Because the sexual act is the ultimate consubstantiation of love between man and woman and Christ. So when he talks about the spirit or the reach, the reach, the smell, which is really ruach, the spirit of thine ointments, talks about how through alchemy, by being sexually connected and controlling the breath, inhaling profoundly the energy, conserving it, transforming it, and bringing it up the spine and the brain to the heart, that's how we enter the kingdom of Lebanon. Because as I mentioned, noon is the sperm or ovum, the sexual matter, and labab is the heart. He continues, Thy lips, O my spouse, drop as the honeycomb. Honey and milk are under thy tongue. So what's honey? It's a, originally it was pollen that through work, the, honey, the bee transforms into a sweetness. This is a symbol of the soul. Because through the impurity of our daily life, we work on ourselves and transform that garbage into honey, into, uh, through alchemy, into the sweetness of the spirit. And that is ultimately, ultimately achieved when one is working in a matrimony. Thy lips, O my spouse, drop as the honeycomb, honey and milk are under thy tongue. And the reach the smell of thy garments is like the smell of Lebanon. 
or it says in Hebrew, and the reach of thy garments is like the reach of Lebanon. So what are these garments? It's the solar bodies. So here he's, he's very explicit. The solar bodies are created through sex. There is no other way. And so uh, the smell of thy garments, the spirit, the ruach of thy garments is the smell of Lebanon, meaning heaven. Those initiates who enter like the heavenly Jerusalem into uh, the kingdom of God, which is uh, Lebanon or Jerusalem. Lastly, Solomon states, A garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse, a spring shut up, a fountain sealed. So the Hebrew word for fountain is mayan. And if we look at the, if you can see here in this graphic, we have the, uh, the word mayan, which is mem, ayin, yod, nun. Notice previously we talked about how Solomon was ravished with one of the eyes, ayin, of his sister, his spouse. The word mayan is the same word as eyes, ayin. It just has the letter M in front of it. So it spells, instead of ayin, it spells mayan. That's fountain. So these are the fountains of life that Jesus mentions, which are... uh, which allow one never to thirst again, as explained in the parable of the Samaritan, or the woman at the well. When uh, the woman asks, you know, give me this water that springs up to everlasting life. And then Jesus says, go, call thy husband. Meaning you want to know how to find that water? Work with your, bring your husband. Because it's through a matrimony that that fountain is uh, produced. And so these waters of life are precisely the sexual energy. And sexual energy has a profound relationship with our perception. As evidenced in the Hebrew, ayin, eyes. Mayan is the same word, but with mem, m. And mem is water. So in order to have spiritual perception, we need to have work with our water doesn't mean we always need to be married in order to begin this process. But in order to enter the higher stages of initiation, we need to work with the waters, represented by Mary, Miriam, the Divine Mother. And Ayin, again, is eyes. So he says here very clearly, A garden enclosed is my sister, a spring shut up, a fountain sealed. So we all have that energy the, of sex, but we need to be sealed hermetically with this force. We must never expel it. This is very well known in Tantra from uh, the teachings of the Dalai Lama. He even explicitly states sexual energy should never be let out. And this fountain should never be spilled, meaning one should never reach the orgasm. Because if we lose that fountain, we, don't, we cannot assuage our thirst for the kingdom of heaven. In the past, humanities, procreation was accomplished without the orgasm. Without the orgasm. There was, never any, there was never a loss of the seminal fluid, but one sperm would be emitted 
in order to enter the womb of the wife. So in the past, human beings procreated without orgasm. And therefore they had children which were uh, pure. And Isn't that still possible today? Yes. Okay. It, what matters is that we follow our, the will of our being so that he can guide us as to, how to you know, when to practice in a, the appropriate astrological hour mm-hmm. so those forces are conducive to producing a child without pain. And uh, it's mentioned in the Yellow Book specifically. Less pain, I would say. Um, and when following the divine laws, we we uh, avoid pain. That's tremendous pressure on the male. The one who the the, for, the force that guides that is the Holy Spirit, the Divine Mother. So uh, we need to be sealed. We need to be a fountain that is enclosed. We should never let the energy out. And if we wish to have children of a, of a divine nature, of a pure nature, we must learn to practice in accordance with the guidance of the Elohim. Because that energy uh, in a matrimony should not be expelled. But according to the will of the Holy Spirit, one sperm can leave the phallus in order to enter the ovum. But that's according to the will of God. In this image, in the next image, we have uh, the picture of uh, Shiva by an ocean. In explaining the nature of the fountain, the waters of life, we talk about in uh, both Greek and Hindu language, we talk about Soma. In this image, we have Shiva drinking from an ocean that has been churned by uh, a great battle between the gods and the demons, and which resulted in the ocean being polluted and poisonous. In order to extract Amrita, which is the nectar of the gods, the pure sexual energy, he drank the poison, which I believe in the myth explains how he came to have a blue pigment on his skin. He drinks of this uh, drink called Halalala, Halahala, or known as Kalakutam. And so this represents how the pure energies of sexuality have to be extracted from the impurity. So the impurity uh, is the poison that has been generated through the battle from our own ego, our own lust. Soma has a great relationship to the Christian scriptures, as we're going to explain. Soma, or Amrita, is the nectar of immortality. This is the substance, the seminal energy, the seminal matter, which can create the solar bodies. We find in uh, different definitions of Soma, a sacred drink of Hindu gods throughout ancient Indian religious texts, as we're going to elaborate. It also refers to depress, referring to drinks made from uh, juiced plants. So, the significance of being pressed in order to extract the juice of a plant is very significant in relation with alchemy. Because when a man unites with his wife, 
the organs press together, and therefore, if the breath is controlled, the juice can be extracted, sublimated, and uh, elevated to the brain and to the heart. Soma also connotes the god Chandra, who relates to the moon. And we know that the moon relates to the vital forces of Yasod, which is the sexual energy. Yes. Greek uh, soma signifies body. And in order to create the solar bodies, we need to work with our own soma, our sexual energy. And unfortunately, in modern times, the word soma can also mean uh, hallucinogenic substances, which we don't advocate in this teaching. So as I elaborated to you uh, in relation to soma, we have this image of uh, the Christ crucified, which some might find strange in context of uh, expressing the Hindu teachings. But we find that in uh, the symbol of the cross, we have the symbol of alchemy, the union of man and woman. Christ, the force of God, is crucified whenever a man with an erect phallus enters the uterus of his wife. That forms the cross. The vertical beam is the phallus. The horizontal beam is the uterus. And so we see in this image his crucifixion in which all the impurities of his psyche are annihilated. This is what the crucifixion of Christ represents. And notice how uh, on his right side he was pierced by the spear of Longinus in which flows his blood. This ties into a scripture uh, known as the Svetasvara Upanishad, where the fire is rubbed, where the wind is checked, where the soma flows over, there the mind is born. So when uh, man and woman are united in the cross, the fire is rubbed as mentioned in this scripture. When a phallus unites with a uterus in holy matrimony, the fire is stimulated. And when the wind is checked, the breath, when the breathing and the sexual act is controlled, the soma grows and develops. The sexual energy is activated and begins to flow inward and upward. So we have two ways of energy flowing in our body. We have, I believe, what's the centrifugal force when, in which the energy goes from inside to outside, which is what we do not commend. But then we have the centripetal flow of forces, which is from outside to in, outside inwards, which is the science of transmutation. So when the fire is rubbed, when sexual union, and when the wind is checked, spirit, the breath, Reach, Ruach. When the Soma flows over, when it flows inside and upward, then the mind is born, meaning the solar bodies can be created in this context. So when we talk about uh, flow, we refer to Tantra, because Tantra means flow or continuum. So that's an Eastern term for uh, the nature of this science.
In relation to the solar bodies, we also talk about mind. We make a distinction between states of consciousness and the solar bodies of the being. It is true that solar vehicles can grant us access to higher states of consciousness, but they do not determine a completely awakened state of being. There are many individuals who have solar bodies or could have developed those bodies in the past, and yet they are asleep. Or what's even worse, many of them have even fallen and entered the path of demons. So do not think that once creating the solar bodies, one is saved. Because the mind needs, or the consciousness needs to be developed further. So when we talk about the mind or consciousness, we talk about four states, which are going to relate to the Christian gospel as given by Paul of Tarsus. We have four states of consciousness mentioned in Greek uh, as by Plato and I believe other uh, mentioned by Plato specifically. Ikasia. Ikasia is the first state of consciousness and refers to a state of profound sleep, uh, instinctual animal desire, barbarism, war, violence. This is an instinctual state of being in which there is no Excuse me, self-reflection or cognizance. Ikasia. If we translate ikasia directly to English, it means imagination. Which is uh, what's interesting about this is that, as uh, Master Samael explained, ikasia is darkness. And yet the translation means imagination. What this relates is the fact that even though we are physically awake, active, we perceive imagery, we perceive sensation, concept, thought, we are in truth in darkness, spiritually speaking. So it's a, type of a, it's a type of perception, but it is devoid of any spiritual understanding of the nature of phenomena. We have pistis, which means belief. This is the common state of consciousness of humanity. Yes. Pistis is belief. Sometimes translated as faith. But here we're we're referring to uh, belief and faith in the conventional sense, devoid of any spiritual substance. Many people have concepts and beliefs about the afterlife, about astral travel, about the internal dimensions, about the solar bodies, but they have no cognizance of these things. They believe in religion, but they don't really practice the esoteric heart of religion. Humanity tends to uh, gravitate between pistis and ikasia. Beliefs, fanaticism, and war. We have a third state of consciousness, which is what we seek to develop, and which grants us the doorway in order to really enter into initiation. This is known as dianoia. Dianoia, as Samael and Vior explains in The Perfect Matrimony, is revision of beliefs. 
the way that we revise our beliefs is by awakening consciousness. This is the state of awakened perception. And in order to really develop this state, we need to, like Solomon taught us, to be a fountain sealed, a mayan sealed. Because ayin and mem, perception developed through the waters of, of transmutation, help us awaken to the state of dianoia. Daya means uh, thoroughly from side to side, to shift, to change. And noia or noio refers to mind or to use the mind. So when we awaken our consciousness by working with our own fire, with our own fountain of life, we begin to change many concepts that we have about ourselves. This is to revise our beliefs about who we are, what we know, who we think we are and where we're going. Dianoia is uh, the alert state of perception, alert novelty. But then we have a fourth state of consciousness, which can only be fully developed and reached by working in alchemy. It's noose. Noose is, uh, literally means mind. Excuse me, Paul, do you say something that relates to the left ventricle of the heart or something like that? Do you say that, noose? There's an, there is an atom related to the innermost spiritual power, force, relating to the left ventricle of our heart. Okay. So noose relates to that. The atom noose is in our heart, and the state of noose is illuminated perception. It is the consciousness that is in union with the innermost that perceives as the innermost, that is one with Christ. So Nus refers to the very heights of the tree of life, from Geburah, Chesed, and above. That's the, the, the spirit and the inner Christ. Those heights can only really be developed, as Samael and Vior explains, by working in alchemy. Because to develop the spirit is a very arduous work, related with transmutation, related with the perfection of the psyche. So we explain this in relation to solar bodies because in order to work in alchemy, we need to establish ourselves in dianoia. We need to cease being asleep in ikasia. We need to cease be hypnotized by our own beliefs, our mind, our concepts, which is pistis. To work in alchemy effectively, and really the only way to work in alchemy is to possess dianoia, to be awakening, to develop that alert state of perception through meditation, through uh, self-observation. For as I mentioned to you, there are many who have solar bodies, but they forget this fact. They forget the work on the ego. Dianoia is developed when we work on the ego, when we annihilate ego. And noose is fully developed when we have no ego. So this path of noose is uh, represented, again, by the path of the spirit, which is neuma. Noose, our innermost, relates to the atom noose, which is this, uh, connects us to our spirit. We have in this image a teaching by a great master. His name is Hilarion the Ninth. He is the... Uh, he was known as Paul of Tarsus. 
who, as we know, was a great persecutor of Gnostics until he converted through a, a revelation, through an experience. I don't know physically what he did as work, but what happened with him was very profound. He experienced noose, an illuminated state of consciousness in which he knew Christ directly, the, lo- the Logos, the force of God, and therefore ceased to persecute the Gnostics physically. Did, did he, in the Christian teaching anyway, I think they claim that he was on his way to Damascus or somewhere and a lightning bolt hit him and that the, the divine said, Paul, Paul, why do you, you hurt me or betray me or, or deny me? I think. That, that, just, that was in the Christian as I remember. And the lightning is uh, the force of Christ which descends from the Trinity at the top of the Tree of Life down to Malkut. So he was struck by an experience, meaning an internal experience, in which Christ reprimanded him to change. And so he gave a very beautiful doctrine about the nature of the solar bodies, the nature of noose, the nature of perception. So he explains that the solar bodies are, again, only created through sex. But importantly, we need to as he says, awake to righteousness, meaning work in dianoia. If we don't awaken our consciousness with uh, meditation and annihilating the ego, we cannot really walk to Christ. In fact, we may create the solar bodies to a, and uh, attain a development to a degree, but if we do not fully eradicate our own desires, then we will suffer. And we will go down. That means you're desireless for anything? Desire in the terms of desire in the terms of ego, animal, lust, pride, vanity, not longing. So Paul Tarsus taught Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God, meaning the esoteric doctrine. I speak this to your shame to those who study but don't practice. But some man will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened, except it die. Meaning you want to create the solar bodies, but it cannot be fully perfected, those vehicles, unless you die in your ego. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be but bare grain. It may chance of wheat or of some other grain. But God giveth it a body as he hath, it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. So what is this seed? Is the semen, the sexual force. And so this uh, grain is, uh, represents the, the wheat, which is, has represented Christ as we have in the Holy Gnostic Unction, the bread and the, the wine of the Eucharist. Does that correlate to the Greek mysteries to Ceres, or are we talking about grain? Ceres and grain, yes. Because uh, the grain represents the, the, the seed of the sexual force that can give birth to the solar bodies. I have to say, you go, you go really going in detail. So many things are allegorical that when you, the Gnostics, the way they teach it, for some reason the others seem to be the Tarot schools, they eat the fish, Coming up, coming out of the waters, pulling it out through mercury. But they don't, none of the masonry, they, they don't go behind it the way you are. You really, I have to say that. I mean, I'm 
finding out things I thought I, you know, I know this. No, it's so much is allegorical that they don't explain the relationship. So he says every seed to his own body, meaning our body produces the semen, the seed that's going to give birth to the solar vehicles, which don't manifest fully in the beginning, but they are germinated slowly in the same manner that a child is born in the womb of its mother. Nine months. Nine relating to Yesod, the foundation, the sexual force. He continues that uh, in relation to the solar vehicles. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there's one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, and another of birds. So, when he talks about flesh of men, he means real human beings. Because a real human being has the solar bodies created. <clears throat> Excuse me. Those solar bodies define a real human. Because the spirit can only incarnate when one has those solar bodies. And when one fully eliminates the ego. So the flesh of beasts is really us. We have the flesh of beasts. Our family procreated in the ordinary manner, so to speak. And we are the result of fornication. So we have the flesh of animals, born through animal desire. We also have the flesh of uh, another fishes, meaning those initiates who know how to swim in the waters, who control the waters, who are beginning on the path and are developing the seminal energy. And then we have the flesh of birds, meaning those initiates that know how to fly to the tree of life. That's one meaning we can derive from it. He continues, There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial, but the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. So this topic of resurrection refers to, in one level, creation of the solar bodies. One needs to die to a certain degree and to resurrect at a spiritual level. That's the process of the major mysteries of initiation. The solar bodies are sown in corruption, meaning our body is, is imperfect. We experience many diseases and many illnesses because our bodies were generated through fornication. But it is sown, the solar bodies are sown in corruption, meaning we practice alchemy with this body. And then the solar bodies are raised in incorruption, meaning they're pure. Just in the same manner in Buddhism, how the lotus flower floats above the muddy waters, that impurity is our mind. Is ikasya, is pistis. However, the lotus is above that, it's pure. It rises above the impurity of the, the mind. It is sown in weakness, meaning we are weak in the beginning, but when we practice alchemy, we, the solar bodies are raised in power with tremendous force. This teaching of the solar bodies also relates to Paul of Tarsus' teaching on uh, the tree of life. Here we have the image of the Kabbalah again. And we reiterate that uh, another way to look at this is in terms of three triangles, which explains this, uh, which we're going to provide an exegesis when uh, Paul of Tarsus talks about 
the bodies of the soul. We have the triangle of the Logos, again, as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Keter Chokmah Bina. We have the triangle of the Spirit, the Neuma, which is Chesed, Geburah, Tipereth. And then we have the triangle of the Psyche, which is Netzach, Chod, and Yesod. Malkut is a fallen Sephirah. Smaller? Yeah, could you just trace where these triangles are? Keter Chokmah Binah, the upper triangle, is the Logos. The secret Sephirah Adat does not have any image, no representation. It's the secret science of alchemy. So, Dat relates to the throat, which when we practice alchemy, uniting sexually with our partner, the mantras we pronounce, E, A, O, in relation to sex, is working with da'at, the verb. That's how we create spiritually. When we connect sexually, we pronounce mantras. Iao is the most sacred. was considered the most sacred, too. So the triangle of the spirit is chesed, geburah, tifereth, neuma. The bodies of the psyche relate to netzach, hod, yesod, and malkut. Mind, emotions, vitality, and physicality. Keter is the Father. And Bina is the... Holy Spirit. And Chokmah is the Son. Yes. And so as we show the image of Shiva Shakti, that's also the Holy Spirit. Because Shiva Shakti is male-female. Or we say Jehovah Elohim in Hebrew. But that's digressing a little bit. So when talking about the... When talking about the... Solar bodies, we can refer to these triangles in relation to levels of spiritual development. Paul of Tarsus gives a very profound Kabbalistic teaching here as he continues. It is sown a, I'm going to use the Greek terms, soma suchikon. It is raised in soma neumatikon. Soma means body. Suchi relates to psyche. Ikon is image. So we can translate it as psychic image body, to be literal. People think it, they usually say terrestrial body in the translations. That's not what the Greek tells us. By terrestrial, we mean uh, relating to our lower personality, whereas the celestial relates to our heavenly personality, the heavenly being. So, soma suchikon, the psychic image body, the, the body that bears the image of the psyche, relates to this triangle, as we showed. Netzach, Hod, Yesod, and Malkut. This is the lower quaternary, which is what we are. So, Paul Tarsus states, it is sown a soma suchikon, it is raised as Soma Neumatikon. Soma is body, as I mentioned. Neuma is spirit. They usually translate this as a celestial body or spiritual body. Again, remember that Soma is the sexual energy that gives life to the bodies of the soul. So in the beginning, we create... Soma would be Yesod then? 
Soma, yes, relates to the vital force. It is the vital force. And so through this energy of sex, we give birth to the bodies of the psyche. Soma Suchikon. In later process of initiation, if we are destined to walk that path, we elaborate the Soma Neomatikon, which are really the, the solar bodies when they are completed, when they are perfected. In the beginning, we develop the psychic bodies, which through incessant alchemical transmutations, by destroying our desires, our ego, it becomes completely perfected. And it gives birth to the, spirits, the bodies of the spirit. So first comes the soul, the spirit comes next. There are many initiates who forgot this uh, important detail. Like Nietzsche, he thought that all human beings had soul, these vehicles, the psychic bodies, or even had spiritual bodies. But ignore that the, those have to be developed through initiation. So soul is the reflection of the spirit, right? Yes. This, I would say the, the spirit is God. And the psyche is uh, the consciousness. The being is. The soul needs to be created. So we do that precisely through alchemy, by working with our own soma. So soul and being are two different... Yes. The being is God. And, he crea- and through this work, the spirit, the naoma, creates the psyche. So spirit and being are the same? Yes. Oh. Using different terms interchangeably. The being is the naoma, the spirit. So as Paul of Tarsus states, it is sown a, a psychic image body. It is raised a spiritual image body. There is a psychic image body and there is a spiritual image body. And so it is written, the first Adam was made a living psyche, a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening neuma spirit. So to elaborate, we first create what we know as the terrestrial man. That human being is made through this, uh, the creation of the solar bodies or the psychic bodies. Remember that the bodies are meant to project the image either of the psyche or of the being. First comes the psyche. We have to create the soul. Later we develop the image of the spirit, which is a very long process. Uh, Direct process. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from Uranus, from heaven. Notice that psyche is mind, natsach, hod, emotions, vitality, yesod, and physicality, malkut. We can also include tifereth because tifereth is psyche, human soul. The heavenly man is above, relating to Geburah, the divine consciousness, which is the reflection of Atman, the innermost, our inner God, our inner spirit. Above that is the triangle of the Logos, the Christ. So first we need to develop the image of the psyche through alchemy. And then if we follow the path of Christ, if we incarnate the Christ, he takes us towards the, the development of the higher Sephiroth within us. As is the earthy, such are those also that are earthy. 
as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. As we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall bear the image of the heavenly. What's important to state is that you know, many Christians say they are born again as if they have these bodies. By, I believe in Jesus and now I am saved. Whereas it can only be created through alchemy, union of man and woman. They think that they bear the image of the, of the earthly. That is the equivalent of saying that they have the bodies of the soul already developed. You say, I've been to summer services. They, they mean well, some of the preachers. There again, I've been saved. In the emotion of the moment, you know, they play some music in the background. Yeah, because they, they like the old fortune said, at that moment they, they go to the emotions only, but cannot go above that. So when they get out on the street, sure enough, they're all, you know, we have the same defects. But in the emotion of the moment, and, and uh, that's what I, I've seen that also when I was in Georgia. And, oh, they really get emotional down there. There's some of them have tambourines and they, the spirit, you, feel, you know, they really, but then they may mean that then at that time, but then they slip, we all, you know, you see they slip back into everyday routine, similar to defects. Maybe they reduced a little, but they're not reborn from what I've read and what, what, you, what you're telling us. So again, the psyche, they say that, oh, we'll bear the image of the heavenly meaning they haven't even went into alchemy to develop the psyche first. First comes the soul, and then we develop the spirit within. So to continue in relation to this topic about the heavenly man and the terrestrial man, we can refer to Buddhism, which teaches the same science. The solar bodies are what grant one the capacity to uh, unite with God but only on the, under the condition that the ego is fully eliminated. In Buddhism, we have, uh, we can say the, the inner being, which is the Buddha, which we call the contemplation Buddha. So this is just Buddhist terms for the same thing as taught by Paul of Tarsus. Heavenly man is the contemplation Buddha, is God. Adam Kadmon is precisely the heavenly man, which we're discussing. We also have the manifestation Buddha, which is the, the psyche, the, human, the initiate who has developed these solar vehicles and is walking the path to express completely that being, the contemplation Buddha. So this is just to emphasize that this teaching is not just from Paul of Tarsus, about the solar bodies, but relates even to Eastern doctrine. So Samuel Onvior states in Mental Representations, as a lecture he gave, much has been said of the Buddhas. There is no doubt that there are contemplation Buddhas and manifestation Buddhas. Manifestation Buddhas are creatures who dominated the mind, who destroyed the ego who did not let negative emotions enter their hearts, who did not create mental effigies in their own minds, nor in the minds of others. Let us remember Song Kapa, who reincarnated in Tibet. He was the Buddha Gautama previously. The Buddha of Buddha Amitabha is another thing, his divine prototype. Amitabha is the contemplation Buddha. We can say the celestial man. And Gautama, we could say, is the manifestation Buddha, the psyche, 
the soul that is manifesting the being. We could say is the manifestation Buddha, the worldly Buddha or Bodhisattva. Bodhisattva is means incarnation of light, an expression of Christ. We cannot deny that Amitabha expressed himself brilliantly through Gautama. We cannot deny that later Amitabha sent Gautama, the Bodhisattva or worldly Buddha, directly to a new reincarnation. Then he expressed himself as Tsongkhapa. This is a great Buddhist master. There are contemplation Buddhas. They are masters of their mind. Creatures who liberated themselves from the mind. This is the heavenly man. This is God above. Bodhisattva. Bodhisattva. Okay. And we're going to explain that even further. So the lords worship the great Buddha that we also know as the Logos. And they pray to him. So again, what is this Logos? Is Christ. Our, uh, the Buddha that manifests is precisely Tifereth. The human will, the human soul that has created a, uh, has raised the fire in Malkut of uh, the Kundalini force from, Mal- from the spine of Malkut to the brain, has created a solar vital body through this process of alchemy. One that has created a solar astral body, one that has created a solar mental body, and possesses the solar body of will. This is beautifully represented in The Wizard of Oz. We find uh, Dorothy, the consciousness, is with a scarecrow. He needs a new mind. He needs a solar mental body. We have the Tin Man who needs a new heart. He needs a solar astral body. We have the Lion who has no courage. He needs the solar causal body, willpower. The one that gives him that that gift is precisely the Wizard of Oz, or the Wizard of Otz, the Wizard of Otz Chaim, the Tree of Life. So the Wizard is precisely our innermost, our spirit, Neuma, and uh, Gebura is an unfoldment of him. Dorothy represents the consciousness that has to ascend from Malkut, from Kansas, to uh, the land of Oz, and then follow the Golden Brick Road the spinal medulla, up to the Emerald City, which is the chakra of the crown, which produces the halo of the saints. And so, uh, the lower five sephiroth are precisely the manifestation Buddha. It's the bodhisattva, the incarnation of Christ, who manifests in the physical plane. The heavenly Buddha, the heavenly, the contemplation Buddha, is precisely the five sephiroth above, which is our inner wizard, our inner magician. What's important to state in relation to uh, the nature of the solar bodies and to put this in context is to emphasize that the solar bodies are merely vehicles in which we can express Christ. However, there are many individuals who develop the solar vehicles, but they do not enter into the the much higher stages of initiation, the much higher stages of spiritual development. 
And we often talk in these studies about uh, different kinds of angels or different kinds of Buddhas. And that in the realm of Nirvana, which is really Tifereth, in Tifereth we find many masters. They have solar vehicles. They are human beings. They reflect the spirit to a degree. But they remain in that level. They don't uh, ascend to the higher stages of the path. Because in order to access the higher Sephiroth, which is Christ, the Trinity, they have to enter a very elevated path of uh, spiritual development. We call this the direct path. So we talk about solar bodies and creating these vehicles. They're necessary. We need to create the, the means by which our being can uh, manifest himself into, uh, into our psyche. We need to create this, the image of the psyche. But in order to develop the image of the spirit completely, in order to enter the realm of the logos, we need to enter a very specific path. In the beginning, first, one has to learn to raise the fire of Kundalini within these lower five vehicles in order to give birth to the solar vehicles. But upon reaching Tifereth, one has a decision to make. This depends on the, and this really depends on the will of our being. And you, I'm just saying, Rudolf Steiner corroborated everything you just said now. Some people, they know they advance, but they have no desire at that point. Only the really, for whatever reason, the karma elevated ones, but it's their option. Not that they're going to be condemned or anything like that because they don't want to go any higher. For whatever reason, uh, they, they choose not to. And they, they, they develop themselves, apparently. We call them, uh, we call them nirvanis, nirvani buddhas, shravakas or pratyekas, Dif- different terms. They're buddhas that have attained initiation, but they ch- choose to remain in nirvana to enjoy the, the blisses of that realm they forget about the suffering of humanity and they don't descend down to help. Some people call them selfish Buddhas too. They're called selfish Buddhas. And uh, the thing is, many people think that, well, this is a bad path because they forget about the cares of the world. They develop themselves little by little in a very long spiraling path that leads to the absolute. The problem with this is that it's a very long path they manifest in accordance with karma. They are still victims of karma. And the difficulty lies in the fact that they can easily fall again when they have to return to a body. And so many of them, they become nirvanis, they fall again. They become demons. They become nirvanis again, they fall again, they become demons. It's a cycle that repeats itself. This is represented in Buddhism as by the Bhava Chakra, the wheel of samsara. We find different realms between gods, demons, humans, hungry ghosts, a constant cycle of different uh, manifestations. Are you saying eventually they must see the light that they should go even higher? That's the will, that depends on the being of that individual. Because there are many Buddhas, inner monads or spirits, that say, well, we are happy in this level, so we don't want to go higher. But then there are spirits or even uh, beings like uh, Jesus of Nazareth, or Muhammad, or Krishna, they wanted to go to the very height, which is known as the Absolute. In order to reach that, uh, to reach those degrees, one has to incarnate Christ, which, to enter that path, is to walk what we call the direct path. 
because the Nirvani Buddhas, they spiral through eternities to the Absolute. There's nothing wrong with their, their process, but in this path, we teach the path of the Bodhisattva, which is very revolutionary. It's conscious, the being is the one who decides whether to enter the straight path. And when the being decides that, one must follow. Um, In order to get to that point, in relation to this topic of solar bodies, it's important to state that we need to develop a, a very specific type of consciousness. If what we want is to enter that straight path after creating the solar bodies. We call this bodhicitta. I mentioned the term bodhisattva, and now I mentioned bodhicitta. Bodhi means light, wisdom, enlightenment. Chitta means mind. So in this lecture, we're talking about mind and solar bodies. And to elaborate that, you know, the solar bodies are really a step in the path. They're not the end. If we, choose, if we are really destined for the direct path, we need to develop something very specific, a state of mind, which is the combination of uh, conscious love for humanity and comprehension of the absolute. It's a union of two things. And Buddhism teaches us very beautifully. One cannot have real love without understanding the nature of that, the absolute, which is we call the emptiness, inconceivable to the mind, to our intellect. Neither can we have real cognizance of the absolute, the source of all the gods, the universes, the the that which is beyond all concept. We cannot have understanding of that without love for humanity. When we really comprehend the nature, the inherent emptiness of all phenomena and how human beings suffer in illusion, naturally love is born within the heart to want to serve and help others to realize their real intimate divine potential, which we call Christ. The absolute is the Christ. So bodhicitta is a state of consciousness in which we comprehend the emptiness of phenomena and how, how life is illusory. But also to have that experience in meditation when one approaches the Absolute. Bodhicitta is a, a type of, in Buddhism, typically taught as a type of attitude. And it is so powerful when it impregnates the soul that... Uh, it goes beyond having solar bodies. One does not create solar bodies and then develop bodhicitta, necessarily. In fact, what's important is to develop bodhicitta now before we even enter the path of developing the solar bodies. Just define bodhicitta again. I missed that. Bodhicitta, bodhi is light, okay. which refers to Christ. Okay. Chitta means mind. So it's a mind or consciousness that has experienced Christ. So just like Paul of Tarsus um, had that experience going to Damascus. He really developed, he had that spark, that, that lightning strike, which illuminated him. 
you know, to recognize that he needed to serve humanity and to serve others. Well, it was an epiphany. Yeah. Epiphania relates to revelation, to experience the state of nous, the illuminated consciousness. That's what he experienced? Yes. So we often talk about, and uh, bodhicitta is a very deep topic, but in synthesis it refers to conscious love of humanity and cognizance of the, of the absolute. So one has that experience, one returns to this physical body and then works to serve others so that they can experience that uh, divinity for themselves. Yes. But then, again, what are they? Did they refer to the four or five lower sephiroth? What do the soul bodies refer to on the tree? The lower five sephiroth. Okay. okay. And so, with a, we, do, we seek to develop bodhicitta above all things. And then, if we are married, we work to create the solar bodies. It's more important to develop that aspiration and that attitude to serve others than to seek to acquire powers and initiations. So, uh, as is explained in the voice of the silence, the nature of bodhi, the light. The dharma of the eye, meaning vision, is the embodiment of the external and the non-existing. The dharma of the heart is the embodiment of bodhi, the permanent and the everlasting, which is the absolute, which is Christ. Here's an image of uh, Buddha Maitreya. People think Buddha Maitreya was one individual. They don't recognize that Maitreya is a title. As I mentioned to you, there are many Buddhas in Nirvana. Millions. Zillions. You can't count. However, there are very few who have incarnated Christ. And uh, we state that in order to enter the path of uh, the straight path that leads to the absolute, one needs to become a bodhisattva. But first one develops bodhicitta. Bodhicitta is that aspiration to help others to serve. And that service comes about as a result of uh, comprehending one's empty states or the emptiness of phenomena, as I mentioned, as well as the, the absolute which is the goal. So many Buddhas don't have Christ incarnated because Christ only enters the, the human being when that human being has shown that he or she has served humanity and has that aspiration, that love of humanity, bodhicitta, with cognizance of the, the absolute, the emptiness. So Mother Teresa might be one. I never investigated her, but she, she possessed a lot. She, she embodied... Bodhicitta, we could say. She really showed sacrifice for others. She said one should sacrifice for others to the point that it hurts. And really the most ultimate sacrifices require pain on our part in order to genuinely benefit others. Bodhicitta is developed through meditation and transmutation? Yes. Bodhicitta is developed when we meditate and we really work to develop compassion and love for humanity, to serve others, and to uh, experience God. Just along those lines, I'm not sure if you 
things I, I'm thinking of. An article I read about the nurses who work in children's hospitals. Usually five years, they let it's just too much. They say the pain, and then the, the relatives coming in, the interaction and the pain, they take up, they have to actually put up a shield, they said, because it's too much. They do good, God knows. And, and, uh, but it's, that's one occupation that shows they, you know, it's, they take them to task there, uh, compassionate-wise. So I'm just saying that that's, uh, those who stay on for a number of years, they, they have to balance that with the pain they feel. You can't help they said that it's going to, there's a transference. So we need to have a, in order to really develop bodhicitta, we need to transform our psyche. So that whatever pain we experience, we transform it as an opportunity of compassion and love for others. So some island viewer continues in the in electrical, the esoteric path. There exists the transitory Buddhas and the permanent Buddhas. The transitory Buddha is a Buddha who still has not achieved within himself the incarnation of the inner Christ. A permanent Buddha or contemplation Buddha, a heavenly man, is a Buddha who has already Christified himself. A Buddha that has already received the inner Christ within his own internal nature. This type of Buddha is a Buddha Maitreya. Since it is a Buddha who incarnated the inner Christ, this is how the term Maitreya should be understood. So Buddha Maitreya is not a person. Buddha Maitreya is a title, a degree, which indicates any given Buddha who has already achieved Christification. So again, the heavenly man of uh, one who is, in, who is fully developed Christ is known as a permanent Buddha. But one who is a transitory Buddha, the Nirvanis, they spiral through Nirvana, they come back to Malkuth, maybe they descend. They go back to Nirvana, they fall again. They're in transit. They're never stationary, meaning they never really attain the absolute heights. So a permanent Buddha is one who is incarnated Christ. Uh, the inner Lord. So then the transitory Buddha did not really incarnate Christ, or maybe partially or something, as he or she. Transitory Buddhas are those who have, those nirvanis, they haven't incarnated the Lord yet. They haven't walked that path. But uh, those who do walk the straight path, they fully, they incarnate Christ and they walk a very dangerous road to fully eliminate the ego in the most profound depths of their own abyss in order to unite with the Absolute. And they didn't fully eliminate the ego. Even they were, even so the transitory Buddhas are those who's, who have ego. And even bodhisattvas, that are those who incarnate Christ, they still may not, uh, they ha- well, they have ego. Until they're only perfected once they fully eliminate desire. So the importance of mentioning the solar bodies is the fact that there are many who create these vehicles, but they remain in nirvana. They don't care for helping humanity. Why do some people say, well, that's the end? You read the book, I want to achieve nirvana. But apparently, from what you're telling us, it's beyond. There are degrees, there's, sta- there's stages of the tree of life. There are, there's nirvana, there's power nirvana. Beyond Nirvana, and we have Power Brahma, which is the Absolute. So there are degrees. The problem was with many Buddhas and the Nirvana is that they don't care for serving humanity. They want to enjoy bliss in their realm, but they don't sacrifice themselves in order to incarnate the Lord, the Christ. As it states in the, the Voice of the Silence, the Shangna robe, 
the initiation row, meaning the solar bodies. Tis true, can purchase light eternal. The Shagna robe alone gives the nirvana of destruction. It stops rebirth. But O Lanu, disciple, it also kills compassion. No longer can the perfect Buddhas, meaning the nirvanis, who don the Dharmakaya glory, help man's salvation. Alas, shall selves be sacrificed to self and mankind unto the wheel of units? No, O beginner, this is the open path, the spiral path of nirvana, the way of selfish bliss. Shunned by the bodhisattvas of the secret heart, the Buddhas of compassion. So again, just to reiterate the point, there are many Buddhas in nirvana. They have solar bodies, but they remain in that realm. They don't uh, work to help others. And unfortunately, they are afflicted by their own karma. They manifest, they return to nirvana in accordance with the laws of the cosmos. They are not master over the laws of the universe. Only those who incarnate the Christ become Lord of all things. So uh, in order to get to really aspire to that path, we seek to develop uh, bodhicitta, the aspiration to reach the absolute for the benefit of others. Working to self-realize not for oneself, but for humanity. And to clarify what bodhicitta is, Samaelan Vior states in the Pisces Sophia Unveiled, which is the Gnostic Bible, Bodhicitta is the awakened and developed superlative consciousness of the being. Bodhicitta emerges in the aspirant who sacrifices him herself or herself for his fellow men, long before the mercurial or solar bodies are created. The one who does not possess bodhicitta, even when he has created the superior existential bodies of the being, is still unconscious and absurd. So do not think that, like many esoteric practitioners, that when you create solar bodies, that's it. Well, that's the path of the nirvanis. But if we really want to enter the path of the bodhisattva, the path of the Christ, it means that we have to renounce our own mind and give everything for humanity. To conclude... Solar bodies are necessary, but they are not the end of the path. If what we aspire to is to imitate the example of Christ. You can see that on, on, on the tree of life where you showed us the five solar bodies. Above it are the other sephirot, the highest sephirot, so you, you can't stop really from what you're telling us. The one, who, the, the one who decides to enter that path is the being. Our own neuma, our own spirit. If we've attained to the height of nirvana, meaning we've reached Tifereth, we created, we have a solar physical, solar vital, solar astral, solar mental, solar causal body related to the five spheres below. And if our own spirit demands it, our own innermost chesed, neuma, if he decides we enter the path of Christ, then we do. That's dependent on the will of uh, our being. It seems in a way you might say that some of these things are predestined. 
Christ, uh, if your being is pushing you to uh, practice this science, it can be an indication that He wants you to walk the direct path. But that path is not necessarily finished in one life, like I mentioned in the beginning of the lecture, as uh, the quote from Padmasambhava. There are a few initiates who can do it in one life. It's very rigorous. But uh, for most, it takes many lives. This path you're talking about, uh, going back to the world is also, he said, it's Steiner, on the tree of life. When, uh, well, they, they, what he called the hermetic path. That was one path. But he said the straight, this was the path of, uh, he called it the mystical path, straight up the tree like that. But it was a different type of uh, uh, esoteric practices in a way than you would if you went from Sephiroth to Sephiroth, like some people throw cards, then Mercurial and astrological and all that. Steiner said it had a lot to do with the heart. And there again, he mentioned a lot of things that, that were in line with what you're saying as far as the direct path. Or the arrow, he called it, Kishot. Kishet in Kabbalah. Yeah, that's a, that's a mystical. Which is the Hebrew word for a rainbow, which we see in the book of Genesis after the flood of Noah, he saw the rainbow, the Keshet. So that rainbow is the path that Dorothy takes to Oz from Malkut with her companions up the straight road in the middle to the father, which is Keter, who is our wizard, our inner magician. But the only way that path can be reached is by uh, sacrificing for humanity. Because if we only work for our own liberation, we enter the Nirvani path. But if we work to serve others, to make, help humanity reach Christ, then Christ will say, well, if you reach the fifth of the initiation, I will incarnate in you. But then you must die completely. Because the solar bodies are not quickened lest they die. Meaning, like Paul of Tarsus said, you cannot really perfect those vehicles unless you die completely in your ego, specifically. Any other questions? Does the being um, nudge by putting events on your path? Yes. We, 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 we can refer to uh, uh, karma, specifically. We have many events in our life which are the result of uh, uh, our past actions, karmic results of our uh, previous lives. But in many other cases, our being intervenes in order to help us change such as finding a t- this type of sci- this science. The being is intervening to help that soul to change. Meaning someone who was studying esoteric studies, you say, here, read this book, and then something comes out. It could be when you're very young, middle-aged, and old, and say, I want to pursue this further. Because you, you look back on your life, you see, you know, you get resentful, but then they tell you, you can't, there's something pushing me. There's something I have to do. It could be based on fear, too, of the unknown. Of the end of whatever, but I mean, it starts you on a metaphysical reading anyway, attending classes, but something happens. Those longings are the impulse of the being to make the soul work, to walk the path of self-realization. Now, what's necessary is to cultivate bodhicitta, that longing to work or that aspiration to serve humanity, and to attain liberation for the sake of others. We only develop bodhicitta when we really comprehend our own mind and work to serve.
in whatever way possible, whatever is the idiosyncrasy of our being. For some people, it's teaching. For some people, it's like Mother Teresa, providing shelter for those who are sick. Gandhi was leading, teaching others and leading political movements. That's how he worked with uh, his aspiration, basically. So... Someone I know is a, is a member of Masonic Lodge, Jewish American fellow, fairly intelligent. He said, when I was in the Navy, he said, I would have took an eclectic approach. But he was raised in the Jewish religion, but he wanted to find out, you know, study other religions. And he said, I used to sit on the fantail of the ship. He was in the Navy by myself and Lee. He said, the only thing, and sad in a way, I guess, he said, I found out I read. He said, about Christ and everything. He said, but Christ spoke in parables, he said. I, I couldn't follow that. Right. So that's another, you know, so, well, you know, people need experiences and the way they see things. We need, to, we need to know Kabbalah to understand the Christian gospel. So we explain in brief what the meaning of the teachings of uh, Christ as well as the teachings of uh, Paul of Tarsus. There's just so much that really is hidden. You know, some, some people think, well, I, you know, there's surface meanings. Not to get like the waters and things like that. They, read, they say quoted, yes. In the human being, as it relates to the human being, what are these waters? Cement, the need to raise the Kundalini, the ovaries. You never see that. I've never read it anywhere, even in a lot of esoteric books, except Gnostic teachings and things you explain. And now, what is necessary for us is to meditate, to experience these things for ourselves. Because personally, if I'm talking about the solar bodies or Bodhicitta, it's because these are things I've studied. Not from a book, but from experience. So, do not take this at face value, but practice and awaken your psyche so that you can experience your own Neuma. And a practice we can use to develop Bodhicitta is a prayer such as the prayer of St. Francis. Uh, I don't remember specifically every line, but let me not seek so much to be loved as to love to be understood as to understand, to give in order to receive. For in uh, giving we receive, and in death we were reborn to everlasting life. Francis, so, Francis really took it. And he, that was interesting, he certainly had an epiphany when awakened because he was born, from what they, the history tells us, into a very wealthy family in Tuscany, in Italy. And the father wanted him to get married and live well and all the possessions. He renounced everything. He's a great bodhisattva, meaning he fully developed Christ within himself. He was an embodiment of the uh, our, um, our expression of uh, the teachings of the straight path. So if we meditate on that prayer, can really open up a lot of things for us in terms of how we can help humanity. To learn more about the knowledge covered in this lecture, we invite you to study the books available through Glorian Publishing or GnosticTeachings.org. You can also view free online courses, lectures, transcriptions, and articles available at ChicagoGnosis.org.
All of this is made possible by the support of listeners like you. Have you benefited from this knowledge? Help others by making a tax-deductible donation at chicagognosis.org. We thank you for listening. We hope that these lectures aid you in developing your complete and divine potential. May all beings be happy. May all beings be joyful. May all beings be in peace. Thank you.